Um, today we are going to be jumping into um, the greatest commandments uh, in Matthew chapter 22, uh, where Jesus gets to talk about uh, what the greatest commandment is. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 38. Um, and I'm excited that y'all came, that you are ready to worship, to hear the word, um, and um, and then jump into digesting it together later. Uh, but before I read the scripture, I kind of want to give two, two backlights um, here. And one of those things is that the religious leaders kept on constantly coming to test Jesus uh, because what Jesus was saying was so disruptive of what, uh, of their power and what they wanted and everything that they uh, wanted to do. So they would come uh, whenever Jesus was kind of in a crowd, they would try to test him, say things to throw him off of his game so that they can then accuse him or say, look, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And so the Sadducees, which were one of the sects of religious rulers, they tested Jesus on the resurrection and they failed. So then the Pharisees, who were the people that really uh, knew the law, and I'll keep on using air quotes today, even though I hate air quotes and probably many of you do, that's okay. Sometimes you just have to use air quotes. Uh, they wanted to test him. And so the Pharisees come and they ask Jesus a question. Uh, and this question, uh, it starts in verse 36 in Matthew chapter 22. And it's what we're going to look at today, the greatest commandment. And so in verse 36, the Pharisees ask this question. They say, teacher, and they're talking to Jesus, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, Jesus answers, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So essentially what Jesus says here. Uh, is if you were to sum up the Ten Commandments, most of us have heard of the Ten Commandments. Uh, funny pastor's joke, who is the only person to break all Ten Commandments at one time? Anybody want to throw that in the chat? Yes, I see Clark, Moses. Because <laughs> he got so mad at Israel, he threw the tablets on the floor and they broke. So anyway, <laughs> Jesus jokes, they're the best kind of jokes. If you were to sum up all the Ten Commandments, in one, if you were to sum up all of the Torah, it can all be summed up in these words, which is what Jesus is saying. Love God with everything. Love God with everything. <laughs> Love God with everything. If you wanted to take all of the commandments, everything that we were supposed to do, and you were to take one thought away from it, one understanding of what God was getting at. It was this, to love God with all that we are, all that we have. But when Jesus comes and the incarnation happens, what he has found is that the religious rulers made entire elaborate systems where you could follow the law but have no true love for God. You can follow the law. You can do what it says. And I'm going to keep putting law in air quotes. And like I said, when we get later, I'll explain why I keep putting it in air quotes. But you can follow all of the religious systems. You can follow all the religious law of the day. You can be follow it to the letter, but you can do all these things and not have any true love for God. And the reason was because the entire system that the religious rulers had created was screwed up. 
And you can see essentially why Jesus gets so frustrated with the Pharisees, with the Sadducees over and over again, because constantly these are the people that everybody looked to to follow the law. Yet Jesus says all of the law can be summed up in one thing, love God. Yet these people's hearts were far from God. They were far from him. How is it that you can be so particular about following the law, but have missed the entire point of the law? It's because over times, what the Phari- over time, what the Pharisees created was their own law to follow that was not God's law. It looked like God's law, though, and that was the crazy part, was that if you were to read and look at the life of the Pharisees and then you were to read the Torah, you would look at those things and say, wow, these things look really similar. There's a lot that you know they take from and all this stuff. So what the Pharisees, the law that they followed looked so similar to God's law, but it was so far from it. And that was the danger of the life that they had set up. And essentially, we do this today. We do things that echo God's law and echo what he wants, but not actually represent it and what it means. I'm going to say that again. We do this today. We do things that echo God's law, but we do not actually represent it and what it means. So if if Moses said this, when Jesus says this, that the greatest is to love God with uh, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He is quoting Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, and he is saying, so if, if Moses said loving God is the point of the law, and the Pharisees, they missed it when Moses said it so plainly and so clearly. And Jesus affirms this, that this is the whole point of the Torah. This is the whole point of what we should be doing. This is the point of life. This is the main thing that we should be looking for. Then that begs the question, what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love God? And have we missed it? What does it mean to love God? And have we missed it? I think this is important because if you were to ask one of the Pharisees uh, around the time of Jesus, they would say that they did love God. Uh, that they loved God with everything. And if you looked at their life and you looked at how they lived their life, you would say, wow, they have devoted their whole life to the structure, the religious structures, the religious law. And you would look at that and say, wow, they, they they love God. But yet Jesus says that they are far from him, that they don't love him. If you look at his interactions with everything, he calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, which means they look clean on the outside, but when you look on the inside, they are actually dead, that there is a stench on the inside, that it is it is a tomb, which looks pretty on the outside, but inside, what is there? There is rot, there is decay, and there is death. So how is it that these people that have devoted themselves to learning about the law, to loving God, have missed it so entirely? And then that begs to ask the question is, have we missed it? Are we in the same place as the Pharisees today? Uh, And so I want to give some theories of loving God. I want to go over the prevalent theories I've seen or heard in the church today about what it means to love God. Now, sometimes these are spoken and I've heard it said, and then sometimes these are unspoken, which is this is the culture of the day. Um, And so uh, the first thing that I've seen, and these are, if, if you were to look at the lives of Christians if you were to look at the sermons in churches, if you were to look at the way that we set things up, then this is what we believe loving God is, right? Because if if we all agree that loving God is the point of it all, if the Ten Commandments can be summed up, if everything Jesus said can be summed up, all the importance can be summed up in loving God, then everything that we do as a church, 
everything we do as people can be summed up in that we are trying to love God more. So let's look at what we do. How do we define what loving God looks like? Well, one way I see that we define that is chanting songs. I've seen this over and over and over again, that when we chant songs, we believe we love God. I've, I've talked to Christians and asked them, well, how do you know God is real? How do you know that God's love for you is real? And they'll talk about the goosebumps that they feel when they hear the worship being sung on Sunday. They'll talk about their emotional state, the emotional high of what it feels like to be surrounded by people that sing a song. They'll talk about emotional reactions, right? Of, man, it was just, it was, I, I, I felt something and uh, I, 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 you know, the, there were the, the, the vibe in the room, the presence in the room was just, it was overwhelming. And so what we have is we have people that are constantly trying to recreate this. If loving God is a feeling, if it is chanting, if it is this emotional state, then what do we do as a church? We are constantly trying to recreate the emotional state of what it feels like to love God, of the emotional state of what it, what we think loving God of getting those goosebumps back of recreating that vibe of saying, well, it, it looks like this, it feels like this. And so what do I do at home? I'm going to recreate that vibe. I'm going to make sure that vibe is there for me on Sundays. And I'm going to make sure that I get to this place of the goosebumpness. Another way that I've seen that we say love that this is loving God is through routines, right? If I ask somebody, Tell me about how I can see that you love God. They'll tell me about, I mean, I get this all the time. Well, I go to service. I go to church service on Sundays. I do my devotionals in the morning. uh, And I repeat this every week, week in and week out. And because I repeat this, because I go to service on Sunday, because I do my devotional, do you know that I pray before every meal? I pray before every meal. I love God. If I, if I stop and I pray before every meal, this is and th- and this the root these routines have defined our life that because I do this routine, because I go to service, because I do this devotional and I repeat this over and over again, this is what I and so we've created systems that as long as you follow this system, as long as you follow this exact pattern, then it will be proven that you love God. As long as you go to service on time and tithe and do your devotional and pray before your meal, as long as you can check off these boxes, you love God. And And if you talk to many people and you ask them to share about how they love God, well, they will tell you about the routines in their life. Another theory I've seen prevalent in the church, and this one I've actually seen preached a lot, is uh, serving. That if you ask somebody how they love God, well, they'll point to their titles. Well, I'm a leader. Did you know I lead this? Of course I love God. Or I'm in ministry. I serve in this ministry and in that ministry and in this ministry. Yes, I love God. Some churches, when you go, you, you think that the pinnacle of loving God is when you start to serve in a ministry. 
And if you are not serving in a ministry, then you do not love God. Because if the pinnacle of your church experience is getting to serve in a ministry and you never make it to that place, well, then there's no room for you to actually love God. And I think what this comes out of is this desire to, right, there's never enough volunteers in church. Let's just be frank. Uh, you know, there's always more things to do. And I, I don't know if there's ever enough volunteers or workers in anything. And so what has happened is the church many times has created a theology that makes it seem like volunteering or serving in the ministry is equivalent with loving God. And so what you have is you have a lot of people that if you ask them, tell me how you love God. Well, I serve. And it's been this unintentional thing that has happened in the church. Now this one, this one, man, this, this one is tricky. This next one, loving people, loving people. This is another theory that I see, right? If you ask me how, how do you love God? Well, look at my empathy towards others. Look at how caring I am towards this person or that. Look how generous I am in my deeds and in my actions towards others. Well, um, you can see that in this, in, in my heart for other people. Uh, and we, in this theory, what happens is we have elevated people uh, to the place of God. And we have, instead of loving God, we have put people in place of God. And we have decided to love people at all costs, even at the cost of loving God. And so this is really tricky because like the Pharisees, it sounds good. It echoes what God tells us to do. In fact, it echoes the second greatest commandment of what God says to love people. And so when we point to loving people, it sounds really good. And it may be weird even, Justin, what are you saying? That this isn't loving God. But what I'm saying is when, when we put these people in place of God, what happens when you love people over God, a very corrupt understanding of the gospel begins to unfold in our life. One of people pleasing, uh, one of insecurity, one of false empathy and false love it was, is what I would say towards people. And so then the, the question is, if it's not these things that all of these things echo what God tells us to do, all of these things may be good at different times and at different rights. And we're not saying that these things are bad, but when they take the place of defining our love for God, then it becomes a bad thing. Then really the question is, what does scripture say loving God means? What does scripture say loving God means? Well, in the gospel of John, John quotes Jesus and he quotes him in John chapter 14, 15. Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John later himself writes as he was inspired by Jesus and he writes letters to the church. In 1 John 5, 3, he says this, he says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. If God is the center of your love, obedience towards him will be your central priority. 
If God is the center of your love, obedience towards him will be your central priority. Now, if, if obedience towards God is our central priority, if, if we say, man, I love God, God is everything. I love him with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul. And therefore, because of that, I will follow his commands. Then guess what? Then we have to know all of these different things. Then, then these questions should come to mind. What does God say about treating others? What does God say about treating my spouse? What does God say about raising my kids? What does God say about being single? What does God say about work? What does God say about friendships? What does God say about money? What does God say about sex? If, you, if we have not taken the time to even learn God's commands, how can we even begin to understand what obedience to God is and therefore what love towards God is. See, so often we have shouted on Sunday, God, I love you and I want to follow you with my whole heart, but we have never done the hard work of learning what it actually means to be obedient to God. We can recite all these different songs from a Sunday worship set, yet we cannot recite the commands of God. We can recite all the different titles on our resume that we have, but we do not understand how God calls us to live in our workplace, how God calls us to live in our family life, how God calls us to live towards our neighbor. And so that's why these things that can be good, that echo the things that God tells us, actually become bad things when they replace what True love towards God means that what we have today in the American church is a lot of people who think they love God, but don't actually walk in love towards God. And I don't think this is a, um, what's the word, a, a, like, uh, an intentional thing. I think a lot of this is an ignorant thing because of how we have set up the church today in the Western culture. And it is that we have constructed all of these different religious traditions like the Pharisees did. And we have followed the traditions without knowing the creator. And when we don't know the creator, we know what pastor says we know what friends say. We know what the TV evangelist says. We know what our devotional book says, but we never understand what God says. Because we are so willing to read a book and increase our knowledge in this way, but we are unwilling to open the Bible. We are so willing to scroll through Instagram and get those character quotes and get those Insta stories of this nice quote and this nice Bible verse, but we are unwilling to crack open the scripture and truly learn from the source. What does God want me to do? What does God want me to learn? How do we even understand how to love God without first even understanding the commands of God? The commands of God are wrapped up in how we love God, and we cannot love God without understanding the commands of God. Obedience is not something that we negotiate with God when we feel like doing it and when we don't feel like doing it. So often I found myself uh, uh, 
negotiating my obedience with God. Well, God, you know, it's, it's okay once in a while, or, you know, I prayed today or I read, or, you know, I did a, I get, I did my good deeds. I'm going to let this one slip and you'll understand obedience is not something that we negotiate. Just like in my relationship with Heather, cheating on her is not something I negotiate with her. Like, all right, I've been a good husband. You know, I've, I've been a good mate for the last 10 years. I deserve a night out, right? I, I can do my thing for a week. Can you imagine how that conversation would go? I wouldn't be preaching from our, our apartment right now. I'll tell you that much. I'd be preaching probably from a hotel room, right? And it's, and it's, there's this understanding that there are non-negotiations in life. There are things that we don't negotiate, but yet with our relationship with God, the fact that, in the very, that we don't understand the very nature of our marriage to him, we don't understand the very nature of our relationship with him, is the reason why we think we can negotiate all these different things with him. And because we don't understand the relationship that we have for him, we don't understand what true love towards God is, that we think it's fine if we live in disobedience towards him. God's number one desire to show you that you, to show him that you really love him, stated clearly in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, is for you to obey him. We cannot plead ignorance on this anymore. His number one desire, all of the law, summed up into one thing, the number one priority that is spoken of in the Old and in the New Covenant is this, obey me. Last week, we talked about all the different blessings that come from obedience to all the things God has said. There is one thing God desires of his people, and that is obedience towards what he has called us to do. You may have been emotionally high on Sunday and tell God a hundred times that you love him, but then you go and do as you please on Monday. That is not love. I'm telling you, I've seen this over and over again, that people on Sunday, they shout, They go to the altar call, they scream hallelujah, they do the praise dance. You can't see it right now, but I'm doing it. They know all the moves about church. They can run around in circles on the Sunday. They know all the banner moves and what the colors stand for. But then they would go home and beat their kids or 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 just be just the awful things that I've seen done to families, right? The the one thing that being a youth pastor. In a church I grew up in, that was the saddest thing for me, was raise, helping raise the kids that grew up in the church and seeing that all these people that loved God and all of the songs that they did on Sunday, then what they would go home and do to their families on Monday. That is not love. That is a continual emotional high that the enemy wants to get you drugged up on so that you think you are doing the work of Christ, but in reality, you are still captured by sin. You may serve in five ministries. You may have all 
of the titles, but still you ignore his commands. That is not love. You may do your devotionals every morning and say your prayer before leaving the house or before your meal, but still you have not learned to obey God. You have missed the main thing. If we still allow our flesh to rule the day, then we are not walking in love towards God. We may have a ton of empathy towards other people. We may care for them well, but still have not learned to love God. We have missed the main thing in life. Do you know that I can empathize with somebody by taking them to the bar and both of us getting hammered together? That's empathy. That may be the the thing that they think they need and they may feel very loved by me if I go and do that with them. And that may be something that is loving people, but that is not following the commands of God. There are ways that I've seen churches say, well, you know what, we want to love people. And they have given people all the amenities of this world, food, clothing, shelter, niceties, but they have never shared the gospel with them. That is disobeying the commands of God. God not only fed the flesh, but he also fed the spirit. We are not called primarily to love people. We are called primarily to love God. And out of that flows all the other things of life. This is the same trap that the Pharisees fell into. They seemed like they were obeying God, but actually stopped obeying the law God left them a long time ago. And instead, what they did is they prioritized tradition over the heart of scripture. They prioritized interpretation over what God has actually said. They prioritized the traditions of people over the clear law of God. What we have to remember is that we cannot do things that we think are good or we think God wants while ignoring the main thing God has asked for. If you've ever had a friend, a good friend, uh, maybe you've experienced this where you've, you've been friends with this person long enough that you feel like this person should know. Let's, let's go with like the movies that you like. Right? If you've had a friend long enough, you've probably talked, and, and if you watch movies, you've talked about the movies that you like, the genres that you like. And then this friend goes, yo, I am going to take you out for your birthday and we're going to have a blast. We're going to go to a movie. I'm not telling you which one. We're going to go out to eat. After that, I'm not telling you where. It's going to be a surprise. You would think, man, this person knows me. I can't wait. We're probably going to see this movie. We're probably going to go to this place out to eat. Let's say that you love just, you, you love, I don't know, action movies. And then this person, they take you and it's like, all right, you ready? We're going into the movie theater. They, they buy the tickets. You got the blindfold. They take it off. And then you have to sit through a two-hour romance movie. What are you going to be thinking? Yo, what is going on, dude? But you realize that your friend, they love romance movies. 
And so you're like, all right, you know, I'll give you this one. But after that, after that movie, then you go out to eat and you're thinking like, I know my spot that's around here. We've eaten here before. You know, he knows where I like to go, but then he takes you to his favorite spot and you sit down to eat and you're like, yo, whose birthday is this? Is this your birthday or is it my birthday? It's like, have you ever taken the time to get to know me? Have you ever taken the time to actually hear what I like and hear the things that I said? Or have you just been making assumptions based off of what you like and what you want? And so often our relationship with God is that same way. Where we know what we want, we know what we like, and we make assumptions that God wants the same things we want. God wants to and likes the same things that we like. And so we find all the things that speak to that. And we say, you know what, God, I'm going to serve you. This day is going to be just for you, God. I must say this day is all yours. And then we do all the things that we like to do that make us feel good, that make us happy. And we ignore the things that God has told us to do. That is why even today, Jesus will get frustrated with the church. If you read in the book of Revelations, Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches, and he has something to say to each of those churches, points of frustration, because they have allowed love of other things to get in the way of true love for him. Deep obedience. When we say we want to love God or that we do love God and everything that we do, we have to remember we are saying we are committing to obeying what all that he has commanded. When we say we want to love God with our whole heart, that we want to walk in the blessing of having a life that is all in on God and all that he has, that we have to understand what we are saying is that we will follow all that he has commanded us to do. So the first thing that we have to do is learn what has God actually commanded me to do. You got to open your Bible. You got to read what are the words of Jesus? What has he said? What are the words? What has God spoken to his people over thousands of years, over dozens of different authors? What has he spoken? What does he want of me? And then we got to follow it. Because that is true love towards God. Obedience to what he has called us to do. This is echoed over and over and over and over again in scripture. And so we cannot plead ignorance anymore, church. We cannot plead like we didn't know this, like we didn't understand it. Examine your own heart today and ask God, what have I been calling love? Has it been traditions? Has it been titles? Has it been emotions? Has it been assumptions? Has it been an echo of what you would call love? but not the real thing? Or has it been obedience towards all that you have commanded? Pray with me. Father, we thank you that when we believe in you, that you send your Holy Spirit to come and transform our heart, to do what humankind has never been able to do, and that is obey you. 
with a whole heart. So Lord, we ask right now that your Holy Spirit would come, that we would cry out for you, God, that we would walk in true love of God, walk in true obedience to you in all that you have commanded. Lord, that we would know that through every circumstance, that through every trial, that through every temptation that the enemy has for us, that we have a faithful champion in you. Lord, that you call us not to condemn us, but Lord, to convict us. Lord, to abide more in you, to walk deeper into the things of God, to open up our word. God, and read, who is the God that we serve and what does he want of me? Thank you for giving us the Bible. Thank you for giving us the Holy Scriptures that we can search out daily, that we can meditate on day and night, that we would be rooted like a tree by living water. Thank you for giving us every tool that we need in our toolbox to live a life that shouts that we love you from beginning to end. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.